Welcome to the Worldwide Webinar Fellowship, which you can listen to live every first Wednesday of the month at our website, tltf.org. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message from God's Word encourages, uplifts, and inspires you to grow deeper in your relationship with God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you again for joining us, and now here is your teacher, John Lynn. Thanks for taking your time tonight to tune in. The title of this teaching is Pentecost, then three Latin words, E unum pluribus. Now, you probably recognize the Latin words E pluribus unum if you are from the United States of America, because that's the traditional motto of our nation. And you may know that they mean out of many, one. And the meaning of the phrase originates from the concept that out of the union of the original 13 colonies and peoples of six different nations, England, Scotland, Ireland, Holland, France, and Germany, uh, there emerged a new single nation. And that motto is emblazoned across the scroll and clenched in the eagle's beak on the great seal of the United States, which you may not have seen lately, but you can look it up and you'll see it. So as you know, uh, Jesus Christ changed a lot of things. And on the day of Pentecost, uh, as recorded in Acts chapter 2, the newly appointed Lord, remember Acts 2.36, God has made this same Jesus both Lord, Kurios, boss, made the, the newly appointed Lord reversed the last two words and made his motto, E unum pluribus, which would mean from one, many. And we know from the scope of scripture that from one promised seed came many fruit. First, that which Jesus knew from prophecy, which would be Israel. And second, that which was a secret until God told him after his resurrection, uh, and then that second many became one, one body. So this year, we celebrate Pentecost on May 23rd. That's on the Christian calendar anyway. But I fear that it will receive short shrift, uh, doctrinally speaking, from too many churches. And golly, there may be some that won't won't even mention it. But I believe uh, this Bible audience is very familiar with Genesis 3.15, which is God's first reference to the Savior, the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And it calls him the seed of the woman. So that is a very significant uh, term. What is the chief characteristic of a seed? I think it's that it has life in itself. My bedroom window, we have uh, quite a few trees in the back here beyond, behind our yard. Every one of these things, no matter how tall they are, started with this little seed that somebody or whatever put in the ground. And that is the same with the redwoods and the sequoias, and it's a miracle. So uh, Jesus has life in himself, and he knew from the uh, Hebrew scriptures that there would come a great assembly, Psalm 22 and elsewhere you can read about it, of Israelites but he had no idea of all the millions of others who would eventually come to the party during this current administration of the secret, of which we will read briefly uh, later on. So this botanical description of him was not lost on him, as we can see from his words shortly before he was about to die. And I, these verses have always touched my heart. John 12, 23, 4, 5, Jesus replied, 
The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat, a grain of wheat, falls to the ground and dies, as it were, buried, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves his life, suke, will lose it, while anyone who hates his life, figuratively speaking, in this world will keep it for life in the coming age. You may know that every time you see eternal or everlasting, I think it's 70 times uh, in the Greek scriptures, it always refers to life in the coming age. So, go left to Jeremiah 36. I love this record. I teach it in uh, One Day with the Creator. I haven't taught it since then, as far as I can recall. But it is, uh, it's priceless. Now, when you get to Jeremiah 36, one of the first things you think of is, oh my gosh, Jesus read these verses probably a bunch of times. So we ask ourselves, what did they mean to him? What was he supposed to learn from them? What can we learn from them? And I'm sure that as he read them, he saw the parallel that these verses illustrate between the written word and himself, the living word. And then after his resurrection, when God told him the secret of the one body, uh, that they took on even a little more meaning, and we'll try to uh, bring that out here this evening. So, Jeremiah 36, we'll read excerpts till we get a little bit into this chapter. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, the word came to Jeremiah from Yahweh, one of the 6,820-some times uh, Yahweh is used. So anyway, he says, the word came, take a scroll and write on it. This is during the time Israel was dispersed. Write on it all the words I've spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the other nations from the time I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah until now. Verse 3, very interesting in light of what we know from the word that God does not have absolute foreknowledge in the Hellenistic sense. If you're not up to speed with that, it's segment 14 of One Day with the Creator. We still have DVDs. Email me. Give me your address. I can mail you uh many sets as you want, I guess. I, we got maybe a 100 left, maybe not quite that many. Uh, but watch verse 3 now. Perhaps, perhaps, really? God didn't know for sure? Yeah, that's right, because he gave people free will. Perhaps the people, uh, when the people of Judah hear about Every disaster I plan to inflict on them, Old Testament language, don't blame God, four and five. Why does God talk like this in the Hebrew scriptures? That he will inflict things on them anyway. Maybe they'll turn from their wicked way, and then I'll forgive their wickedness and their sin. So Jeremiah dialed up Baruch, son of whoever, and while Jeremiah dictated all the words Yahweh had spoken to him, Baruch wrote them on the scroll. So then Jeremiah will summarize here. He said, look, uh, uh, they don't like me. I can't roam around. So get over there. Give it to the uh, elders and so forth. They can read it. Maybe the people will uh, get on the stick. Verse 8, Baruch did it. That was good. Uh, went to the temple, read the words of Yahweh from the scroll. Bunch of people heard it. Went down uh, in verse 11, the secretary's room, told him. And verse 
14, all the officials sent Jehudai to say to Baruch, yo, dog, bring the scroll from which you read. So he went with them. They said, well, we need to hear that. So he read it to them. <laughs> Verse 16, when they heard all these words, now that picture this, they looked at each other in fear like, uh-oh. And they said to Baruch, uh, we got to tell the king because the word said, uh, well, little phrase, it might not be uh, quite Christian. I don't know. Your ass is grass. Anyway, we must report. So they asked Baruch, tell us, how did you come to write all this? I bet did Jeremiah. Yeah, yeah. Then the official said to Baruch 19, you and Jeremiah better go hide out. I, the next sentence seems superfluous to me. Don't let anyone know where you are. Well, that's what hiding is. Anyway, verse 20. Now watch this. After they put the scroll in the room of Elishama, the secretary, they went to the king and reported everything. The king sent Jehudi to get the scroll. He brought it, read it to the king, all the officials standing beside him. It was winter. It had a fire burning and a fire pot. 23, whenever Jehudai read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife, and the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear. Neither did they tear their clothes like, oh, my God, we got to repent. We're going to get smoked. Even though these other guys urged the king not to burn the dadgum scroll, he wouldn't listen. Instead, he said, go out and arrest Baruch and Jeremiah the prophet. But he couldn't because the Lord had hidden them. After the king burned the scroll containing the words Baruch had written at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah. So what did the king do? He cut up the written word, sliced it up, sliced it to pieces, and then burned it. So the word of the Lord, Yahweh, came to Jeremiah. Okay, uh, take another scroll and write on it all the words that were on the first scroll, which that moron burned up. Also tell him, this is what Yahweh says. You burned the scroll and said, why did you write it on it? The king of Babylon would certainly come and destroy this land and cut up both men and animals. Therefore, this is what the Lord says to you. You'll have no one to sit on the throne. Your body will be thrown out and exposed to the heat by day and the frost by night. I will punish him and his children as the tenants for their wickedness and bring on them and those living in Jerusalem and the people of Judah every disaster I pronounced against them because they have not listened. Last verse. Jeremiah took another scroll, gave it to his pal Baruch, who had apparently very good handwriting, and as Jeremiah dictated, Baruch wrote on it all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. Look at this last sentence. When we look at it in light of our whole scope of scripture, it's fabulous. And many similar words were added to them. Now, the theme of this teaching is out of one, many. And so you're probably getting the parallel here that the same devil that motivated the king to cut to ribbons and then burn the scroll, motivated people to do the same thing to Jesus, but they were only able to cut him to pieces. Thanks to Joseph of Arimathea, his body was not burned outside of Jerusalem and Gehenna with the other criminals or, you know, with criminals that they took out there and burned their bodies. And so it says many similar words were added to them. Now, nobody then had any clue 
of what you and I know and we'll read briefly about in Ephesians shortly of this secret of the one body that out of the promised seed there came a multivariegated, multilingual, extremely diversified, talented millions of people. So it says many similar words were added to the original scroll. You and I should be, quote, similar people to Jesus because we have been added to him. So go to uh, Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. We'll read five verses, I think it is, 29, starting in 29, Acts 2, 29. I love that record. One multiplied, the power of one. So we're going to go back to Pentecost here. My cat is causing a disturbance there on the deck. Okay, Acts 2, 29. Brothers, Peter, inspired by the Spirit of God on this birthday of the Ecclesia. I can tell you confidently the patriarch David died and was buried. His tomb is here to this day. You've all seen it on the tour. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he, David, spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, as we read in the previous verses here, as Peter said, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we all are witnesses of the fact. That's what they taught in the book of Acts, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has passed it on to you and me. He has poured out what you now see and hear. God to Christ to you. You got to be a real baseball fan, but Tinkers to Evers to Chance was one of the great double play combinations in the history of baseball. Well, we have a much better uh treasure and a much better combination. Verse 34, for David's not in heaven, yet he said, Yahweh, or the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hands till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Go to First Peter chapter 1. If you pass First Corinthians 15, you're going to come back there, so you're going to want to grab that. First Peter chapter 1, Hebrews, James, just a couple verses here. So Jesus was called the promised seed, and he was actually a literal seed in light of God putting a perfect sperma, is the Greek word for seed, in the womb of Mary. So on the day of Pentecost, the promised seed began to multiply. And as you may have heard me say, Jesus is God's favorite subject. Uh, Look at the word. It's all about Jesus. Because his perfect obedience by his freedom of will retrieved God's shattered dream of the glorious future he intended for mankind. And so God has delegated to his son the privileged job of heading up the body of Christ, raising all men from the dead, judging all men. God's not going to judge anybody. Jesus is doing the judging and rewarding those who deserve it, annihilating all wicked people. That'll be Jesus that will get to do that. And you and I get to watch. It's going to be awesome. That's part of our hope and creating a new heaven and a new earth. So First Peter 1, 22, previous verses are 
really awesome. Look at verse 18. Let's start there. For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was genetically flawless by God's doing. He was behaviorally flawless by his free will doing. Verse 20, he was chosen before the creation of the world. In other words, the logos, the mind of God, the plan that God had included a savior if the first Adam took the choke. Had he obeyed? I guess we wouldn't have a Bible. We wouldn't have Jesus. Whatever. We'd be in paradise already. But he was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, Jesus, you believe in God who raised him from the dead. That's uh, quite a theme in scripture. And glorified him and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. The word deeply, we got a teaching somewhere on the website called Stretching for the Lord. One of my favorite teachings I have ever done. One of the simplest yet most powerful. It's a word study on the word stretching. You wouldn't think stretching is like one of the big words like Holy Spirit or whatever, but it's fabulous. And this is the word, ectano, we get attention. In other words, in other words like that, extension, reaching out. Love one another stretchingly from the heart. It takes effort and stretching to love knuckleheads like me. 23, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And then says all men are like grass, the glory is like flowers, they wither, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And yes, the word is called the good seed of the word, but birth necessitates a seed and a seed leads to birth. And so it's not some physical seed like Jesus had, but it is a spiritual seed that God has placed through Christ, we just read it, God to Christ to you in each of us. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 35. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds, another. Fish, another. There are also heavenly bodies. There are earthly bodies. Splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind. Splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor. We had a glorious sunny day here today. The moon, another, and the stars, another. And star differs from star in splendor. Genesis 1.14 is one of the most, it's the understatement of forever. He made the stars also. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like 500 billion galaxies. <laughs> and they're all different, apparently. Anyway, so... Will it be parallel being drawn here with the resurrection of the dead? The body that is sown is perishable. Elizabeth and I and Franco also knew this gentleman very well, lost a dear friend a couple of weeks ago. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. Now, interesting note in the NIV study Bible, 
It's pretty good. Spiritual body does not mean a non-material body, but from the analogies, a physical one similar to the present natural body organizationally, but radically different in that it will be imperishable, glorious, and powerful. Fit to live eternally. Eternally technically means no beginning, no end. Everlastingly technically means a beginning and no end with God. There's continuity, but there's also change. Pretty good. So we keep reading. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Second Corinthians 3.17 says the Lord, that's Jesus, is the spirit. And Jesus' new body is powered by Holy Spirit, as will ours be. And I guess everybody else that gets up in group two for everlasting life and those who are in group three who also make the grade. Verse 46, the spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of heaven. His body was made out of the dust, the chemical components and all that. Uh, the second man, quote, from heaven, didn't mean. And he lived there before he came down. No, we know that. It means that God originated him, the God of heaven. 48, as was the earthly man, so are those. Watch how this finishes. 49 is our last verse here. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, we know Know that that basically means now our physical body, but yes, also the sin nature that is bugging us a lot of the time. So shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. In this context means we're going to have a new body like his. But we just read many similar words were added. So what we need to do is bear the likeness of the man from heaven now because we have that spirit, the gift of holy. Holy Spirit, the power to be like Christ. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. We'll just read the first part of this chapter. It's too good to pass up and can't refresh our minds too much about this. It's priceless truths that I'm sure many of us just, oh yeah, we know that. It's really cool. Yeah, oh yeah. I know what that means. But lots of folks in our wonderful Christian family around the world, nobody's ever exposited these things accurately like you can for them. So Ephesians 3, 1 to 12, and remember, of course, these are exposited in One Day with the Creator, uh, and I think also in the end times, they're just magnificent. And remember, they come out of chapter 2, which talks about the one new man the body of Christ. For this reason, verse uh, 1, chapter 3, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you gents. He's writing from jail. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the secret musterion, a secret, the, you know, a mystery no one understands. A secret someone understands and whoever he tells uh, knows it. The word is translated mystery, unfortunately, because of the theological agenda 
and the mystery of the incarnation and the transubstantiation and a lot of other extra-biblical polysyllabic words that do nothing but confuse people. The secret made known to me, Paul, by revelation. Why? Because it wasn't anywhere in the Hebrew Scriptures that he could get a clue, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the secret of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. The secret is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together, with Israel, not really in there, but heirs together, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people. He was fully aware of his criminal background and eternally grateful or everlastingly grateful for God's grace in delivering him. This grace was given to me to preach and it's given to you and to me now. The unsearchable riches of Christ. It's not in Genesis to Revelation. Not a hint of it in Matthew, Mark. Take a look at John. No, no. Verse 9. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this secret, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Verse 10 is magnificent. God's intent was, now it ain't going to happen unless he gets sufficient human cooperation. That would be where you come in. Enter stage right. His intent was that now through the ecclesia, church horrible translation, the assembly, and in context we know the ecclesia means the called out folks. Well, they're not only the called out, they're the called out who answered the dang call like you did, and still are. The manifold, could translate that, infinitely diversified wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his purpose of the ages, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we, that's you, you little pronoun, may approach God with freedom, boldness of speech, and confidence. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. This is one of the most poignant records I've wept teaching this. I'm not going to do the whole thing now in this teaching, but uh, I remember leaving the state of Indiana after five years of ministering to the precious people here. And I remember leaving New York, making a last lap around New York in 1980 to seven different areas that I could see most everybody. And I remember leaving the Way College in 85 and really at the end of each year with the folks I was privileged to serve there. And so I often would share this record where Paul gathered uh, the elders of the church, the ecclesia, the assembly at Ephesus, and lays out to them his heart before he leaves them, and he's never going to see them again. He knows that. He starts into that in verse 18 and verse 20 says, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. 
So and they had they had big meetings and they had little meetings. I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. That's pretty amazing, uh, especially because the greatest truth in Scripture that we just read about in Ephesians is still a secret. To 95, that's probably conservative. It's probably 99% of Christians. And you and I have the privilege and the duty to proclaim it to the world. Now, if you're a golfer, like my friend Richard Townley, you probably know the motto of tailor-made clubs. That's a brand, tailor-made, very good golf clubs. Their motto is, I have a towel that says it on, on the towel, don't hold back. In other words, grip it and rip it. And apparently, don't hold back, grip it and rip it, was also the motto of the first century saints as exemplified by the Apostle Paul in these, his parting words to the brethren at Ephesus. I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, but the Holy Spirit's warning me and hardships are facing me, And but I'm willing to go. We know he probably shouldn't have gone, but verse 25, he says, Now I know. The heart here, and think about it, in Ephesus, the background of him with those people in Ephesus for two years and three months, the word spread all throughout the small the province of Asia there in that part of the world. I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Why? 27, last verse. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. A lot of our Christian brethren who are probably way more committed than I am, way more loving, do way more miracles, they can't proclaim the whole will of God because no one's ever taught them. So Acts chapter 10 is where we'll close in a minute or so or a few minutes. So you can turn to that. But most of you are aware, at least we can read it, and you've read it hundreds of times, about the transformation of Jesus' disciples that came about by their receiving Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and manifesting it by speaking in tongues. And folks, you you may be more tuned in on this than I am, but I just, you know, I turn on Christian radio and I do my errands around town here, usually. Uh, and here was the other day, famous Christian preacher. How do you know you're really saved? Now, I know how you would answer that. You speak in tongues. That is one of the most awesome, delivering, liberating, fabulous, and any other adjective you want to put on it, truths that you could ever teach people. I remember in the Philippines back in the 90s, in the middle of nowhere, somewhere, just we led people into tongues in all of our seminars. Of course, I had to have all the guys that I knew and had gotten to know. And English is a second language there, but a lot of people, their English is rather broken, like a lot of people in the United States. Um, so I had to have these guys cook. I said, get out there, disperse into the crowd. Because I don't know if they're speaking in tongues. They could be speaking Filipino. I, I'm not going to be able to tell, but you will. So so they did. And this one old guy was just sobbing and sobbing. So I asked one of our guys, you know, what, is he okay? What's up? He said, 
I've wanted to do this for 50 years, but they told me it was a gift and I didn't have it. So, hey, back in the day, that would be like my day was 67 on, but late 60s, early 70s. Oh, man, we had a cadre of committed. Can't think of another C word there. Uh, people used to lead people into tongues on bus stops. In five minutes, because you, you're a Christian? Yeah, hey, you want to speak in tongues? Well, I don't know. I, I, what is it? Well, it's this. Here's how you do it. Shatalamokalabanda. Oh, here's the bus. See ya. Maybe you never see him again. We used to do that stuff all the time. The chairlift, if you're a skier. They're trapped in there with you. I haven't skied since Christine moved from Colorado 13 years ago. But, you know, I knew how long the ski lift, their chair lifts were sometimes 17 minutes. That's a lot of time. What, are the guys going to jump out? I don't think so. So, anyway, think about the transformation. These guys, even though they had been with Jesus for a year, they were so terrified that they were hiding from the Jews, all huddled together behind closed doors, scared to death. Took them a while to get going there, but they became so bold in proclaiming the resurrection truth that it cost them their lives. It also set in motion 2,000 years of deliverance for millions of people. What changed them because Holy Spirit, you can't feel it, smell it, taste it, touch it, whatever, but you can manifest it in nine ways. And they just bolted out of the gate. I think the Kentucky Derby is this Saturday anyway, uh, and went wild as we can read in the book of Acts. So why can't we do likewise? Uh, we can. The question is, will we? Do I always? No, I hate it. When fear seals my lips, I gotta hate it enough that it un that I unseal them. Especially if I have a weak excuse like, "Well, what is this person gonna think of me or say about me?" That's usually that's usually I'm saying our. If any of you are in that category, you live in the United States of America. Most of you, I can't scroll through everybody on here to see who's who. We do get people from around the world sometimes. How about this excuse? I might be tortured and murdered. That's an excuse that even today, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ could use. Now, you know, if they didn't speak because of that, you could understand. But what about, well, what is this person in line at the bank going to think of me? Please. I've bowed to that idol of fear. It's disgusting. So we're going to close with half a verse in Acts 10, spoken by Cornelius to Peter. Most of you are familiar with the record in Acts 10, the fifth and final record, or final, whatever, fifth, one of the five accounts of people speaking in tongues in the book of Acts. And Peter had a vision of the sheet with all the animals. God said, chow down. He said, no way, oy vey. And God said, get a life. Uh, actually, the Lord was talking to him. But in any case, he goes, Cornelius gets a bunch of people together. Where are the Corneliuses of today? You could be one. And what he says to Peter in the second part of Acts 10, 33, I, this might be the first time I've ever taught this little 
verse thing here and emphasized it like this, but it really struck me when I was preparing this. He said to Peter, let these words resonate, sink into you. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Well, lately, uh, I've been entertaining a rather grandiose vision of God opening the door to, well, millions of people, but say 12 couples who have great means and great influence. Maybe it would be some sound-minded political or civic leaders that somehow would come around and say, hey, we're going to get all of us together for a week and we want you to teach one day with the Creator to us. Well, it may never happen. But look, there must be people today who fall into this category of longing to know God's truth. You probably heard that Christian song, You Could Be the Answer to Someone Else's Prayer. And I love it when I call somebody, I'm sure you've experienced this also, and they say, wow, I was just thinking of you, or how did you know to call me right now? So when God leads us to them, will we declare to them everything that our Father and our Lord have made known to us? I hope so, because if we don't, who will? And if we don't do it now, when will we do it? And in this darkening world, and in this upside-down country in many ways, not because of all the millions of good people who love God and are trying to do what's right and have half a brain, but because of the uh, incredibly off-base people in positions of authority, in many positions of authority, uh, we have a golden opportunity. People are desperate. They're lonely. They can't see anybody smile. They're depressed. They're isolated. They're looking for light. And you and I can shine the light of God's love and truth too. So I'll close with prayer, but uh, thank you very much again for taking your time. And please let us know what we can do for you again. Also, we want to thank you uh, on behalf of our trustees and elders. I thank you for your financial support. Those of you that send a few bucks to TLTF every week or month or whenever you do it, uh, I think you are sowing good seed into uh, good seed, good ground. I mean, I think what we have to offer is not bad. We are human idioses uh, like you. It's true. In other words, what does that mean? We, I march to the beat of my own drum. No scriptures of anyone's own idios d- determination. In other words, I don't make up something, but often I do make up stuff and I march to the beat of my drum rather than God's. That's what I mean when I use that word. So we are very grateful for what God has given us, this treasure of truth that we can proclaim to the world. And we're still praying for revival, so to speak, at least something of note. But as we know from scripture, the angels go wild when one guy believes. So get out there tomorrow or even tonight, uh, whatever. I don't know where you are, what you're doing and go wild. So I will pray and Frank will close with a song and, uh, we will keep you posted on our progress health wise and so forth. And we are thrilled at the goodness of God. So dear father and dear Lord, we love you. We're so thankful. Gosh, we're so thankful for all the truth you've let us know that we can have faith. Faith comes by hearing, and we can trust what we hear because it comes from you. 
And I praise you for your healing touch on the life of every person on this line and everyone they believe, everyone they will reach out to in the days to come. We're thankful to know the hope we have. You're coming back to get us out of here any day. In the meantime, you will inspire us and energize us as much as we let you. Because it's way beyond, I'm sure, what I could even conceive of what we have. As much as lies in me, I'm sure there's way more that lies in me than I've ever utilized. So bless each of these dear people, their loved ones, their relatives, their jobs, their co-workers, their finances. Give them investments that pay off. Give them inventions. Open doors for them especially spiritually, energize their ministries. Each day can be an exciting day for us. And we're on a treasure hunt with you. We're looking for buried treasure. It's pretty buried, it seems like. Uh, it's kind of rare to find people that really want to know, but they're out there. So we pray and bless your name and thank you for all of our dear brethren. We think of the persecuted church around the world in different places. Thank you for this United States of America, that our prayers are the greatest weapon we have to combat the criminality being foisted upon us day by day that we can stand up and shine your light and love the unlovable and and cooperate with you to the extent that you can do some really cool stuff. And who knows what you can do. There's a bunch of verses that start with suddenly in the Bible, and they're pretty cool. It's kind of like, whoa, God did that. We weren't expecting that. So help us to expect your unexpected because of your limitless love and resources. And we thank you in that incredibly wonderful and powerful name in which we stand and go forth, Jesus Christ. Amen. We love you tremendously. You called me from the grave by name You called me out of all my shame I see the old is passed away, the new has come. Now
you have given.